Al Jazeera podcast. Hundreds more killed in Gaza since Friday's UN Security Council vote for more aid. What practical impact will the resolution have? And how can aid get to 2.3 million people living under constant attack among destroyed infrastructure in a live battle zone? I'm Deri Nabugeda. You're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help define major global stories. Joining us from Khan Yunus in Gaza is the resident Mansour Shaman. From Hamman, we have Ahmed Bayram, who's the regional media and communications advisor at the Norwegian Refugee Council. Joining us from Vienna is Lex Attackenberg, who's a senior advisor with the Arab Renaissance for Democracy and Development. And he was also the former chief of ethics at UNRWA. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for your time. Mansour, uh, from Gaza, since the resolution which calls on parties to the conflict, to allow and facilitate the flow of humanitarian aid to Gaza through land, sea, and air routes. Tell us what you're seeing on the ground. Has there been a scale-up of humanitarian aid? Hello, everyone. Um, thank you for having me. I think it's too early to tell. Um, let's, uh, let's observe what happens here inside the Strip over the next uh, three to four days to see uh, what kind of um, impact that resolution had on the ground here. Um, currently, uh, the issue is uh, that there's a lack of security, there's a lack of safety in all of Gaza Strip. Uh, I'm currently here in Nasser Hospital. I've been here for the last 70 days, uh, together with 30,000 other refugees in one medical complex. And until now, I have only seen come to Nasser Hospital, which is the biggest operating hospital here in Gaza Strip, after the destruction of Ashifa, around 28 trucks and one fuel truck. That's it. So uh, I think that we need um, much, much more when it comes to providing aid and providing the field hospitals and fuel supplies in order to ensure that the lives of 2.3 million Palestinian civilians continue to be sustainable. Mansoor, I hear what you're saying about observing over the next few days the impact that that resolution may or may not have. But one of the points mentioned in it was the opening of Karam Abu Salim, that border crossing that is crucial. Are you hearing at all whether that border crossing has been opened? I haven't seen any, any information on that personally. It might have been. However, what we did hear about was two days ago, uh, the IDF... Um, uh, hit with an airstrike um, three of the people or four of the people which are trying to operate uh, Ma'bar Karam Abu Salim and killed all killed all four. Um, uh, I, I honestly don't have any information on that right now. Okay, we will be following up on that uh, in the next few days. But just one more with you, Mansoor, before I bring in my other guests. Um, look, the Israeli ambassador to the UN uh, has said that this resolution is unnecessary and it's disconnected from reality. And according to him, Israel is already allowing aid deliveries at the required scale. Now, clearly what you're saying is that's not what's happening in Gaza. But tell us how much aid um, is actually entering on a daily basis. What do you know about this? Uh, we know that uh, less than 5,000 trucks have entered into Gaza Strip since the start of this conflict. So you are talking about over the last 75 days, um, 
you know, less than less than uh, 70 trucks a day. Uh, normally, Gaza Strip during non-war times gets at least 500 trucks uh, of imports inside. Uh, however, this is not when um, over 80% of the population is displaced, uh, thousands injured, uh, and, uh, and and many in need of ur urgent uh, medical supplies and uh, and fuel supplies in order to ensure that electricity continues to run here. Um, I think it's more of a, a PR stunt on the behalf of the Israelis. What happened earlier on the Rafah border, even the trucks that came in, a lot of them after being searched by the Israelis were emptied. We only received two or three pallets of supplies. Many of the supplies that we received after being filled by the Israelis had expired food products. Many of them had things we don't need, like right. masks, gloves, and linen for our dead. Okay, Mansoor, thank you for the time being. Lex Attackenberg, thanks for your patience. Let me bring you in here. Look, speaking of Rafah, uh, the resolution uh, that was passed at the Security Council also states, it says rather, that states that are not party to the conflict are welcome to permit free passage of humanitarian relief. Now, this particularly refers to Egypt and, uh, and the Rafah border crossing. From your experience, how does it work on the Rafah side? Does everything have to be coordinated with the Israelis? Absolutely. The, uh, there was quite a discussion uh, in the lead up to the latest resolution uh, about handing over uh, control over the uh, passing of aid into Gaza from uh, the Egyptian-Israeli mechanism to the UN, uh, with the UN sort of directly having the uh, the ability and responsibility to to coordinate the uh, the uh, the importation uh, of uh, of goods into Gaza. But that was one of the reasons why the why the passing of the resolution was delayed so many times. And effectively, uh, under the uh, under the resolution, uh, the uh, the current mechanism of whereby Israel maintains full control over what gets into Gaza and at what pace is uh, is kept unchanged. From your experience, Lex, do you think that Israel will will comply with parts of the resolution, this whole resolution? What do you think? I mean, the the, the resolution is a is a reflection of uh, of the mood of the international community, and so it's one of the factors that uh, that I believe Israel will weigh. Uh, along with uh, with pressure from uh, from from the US, uh, so far we have not. We're we're seventy, uh, we're we're eleven weeks into the war. We have an abundance of prima facie evidence of genocide and ethnic cleansing uh, from Gaza and increasingly also from the West Bank. So far, this has not neither uh, restrained. Israel nor uh, those governments complicit and, and enabling it to continue its, its onslaught on the on the people in Gaza. So things don't look good from that perspective. Okay, let's I mean, get the perspective I... from the Norwegian Refugee Council, uh, uh, Ahmed Bayram. Let's bring you in. Look, even if more aid does go in, I mean, unless those trucks and that aid can actually move about, first of all, freely and then safely, then and we understand from uh, Gaza that that's not possible right now. So, so what is the point of this resolution? 
Um, it's a step in the right direction. However, it's nowhere uh, near, um, it doesn't bring us any closer to a ceasefire, which is what we all want to see ultimately in the AIDS community. Like you say, I have 50 colleagues in, in Gaza. They have all been pushed into these small pockets in Rafa. And we are, um, of course, operating under probably some of the most impossible circumstances, even by the standards of of the Gaza conflict, even by the standard of, of conflict zones. We were there in, in Syria, in Yemen, in Iraq, even in Gaza during conflicts, past conflicts, we were all, always able to move around and provide aid. This time we are grounded. This time we have colleagues who have experienced loss in their families. How do you expect aid workers to, to move around when you know shelling, bombardment, tanks uh, are in your neighborhood? It's, we're asking the impossible here of, of aid workers, and, and we expect them to, to, to be superhumans. They are actually, as, as we speak, they are providing whatever they can, the hot meals and the, the potable water that they can provide and some protection for, for families. But you can't do that in, 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 a, in, a, in a death zone, in, a, in probably the largest open-air crater in the world that... Um, you know, Israel has reduced Gaza to... Yeah, what I mean, you're asking the see? question that I was going to ask you next, Ahmed, which is how do you actually have meaningful humanitarian assistance when the genocide continues and when the bombs continue to fall? Yeah, and the answer is we're hardly scratching the surface here. And to be frank with you, um, I mean, my team are now split between providing some aid and, you know, installing tents for their extended families. That's the reality of it. You have to wake up in the morning and, and fend for yourself and for your family. My my colleague tells me that, you know, all that children, his children had for a full day was, was a can of food, of dry food or beans. Mm. Um, we're, asking, we're asking the impossible here. And I think anything short of a lasting ceasefire, anything short of, um, you know, complete lifting of this siege, 16 years on top of that 70 or 80, uh, 80 days now of, of a total siege, nothing else can, can, you know, can, can lead to a solution here and can help aid workers perform their job. Mansour, uh, the UN Secretary General has said that four out of five of the hungriest people anywhere in the world are now in Gaza. I mean, that is a shocking, shocking statistic. Give us an idea... Mansour, off. tell us what, what people have been telling you, what, what you've been seeing on the ground when it comes to this issue of food and starvation. What amount of food aid is entering Gaza right now, if any at all? Yeah, I think this is particularly true, especially in Gaza City and the north of Gaza Strip. There is hardly any news coming, but whenever we do hear news, we hear news of people actually uh, going through starvation mode. Um, I was actually sent a video of people trying to make food out of plants uh, from their own ground, from their own soil. They do not have any grains, any rice, any wheat, and they're trying to look through vegetation on the ground to make any kind of food for themselves there. So this is in particular true for Gaza City and the north, uh, especially with the lack of aid trucks and, uh, and logistics uh, going to them up there. However, in the middle region and in the south, where I am right now, it's a little bit better. But like you said, every day it's 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 uh, it's like a it's like a 12 to 14 hour um, 
uh, mandate, you know, by the heads of the families, the fathers, the mothers, uh, you know, they have to uh, go and fend for, they have to try to find something to feed their children. They have to try to bake bread in some kind of clay stove. Uh, they have to try to, to get some clean water from any of the filtration units somewhere beside them. So um, it is it is difficult. There is definitely a, a, a malnutrition happening here. And again, we are not seeing, at least in Khan Yunus, the aid trucks coming in. Maybe it's more in Rafah because it's close to the border, but not in Khan Yunus. However, hopefully with this UN resolution, aid does slowly start trickling in because especially with flu season coming, with the winter, with the cold, people here need to eat well as soon as possible. Lex, a comment on this issue of uh, the real lack of food and people starving in Gaza. And also the UN has said that the entire population of Gaza faces an imminent risk of famine. Indeed, and, and in this respect, uh, what is called for beyond uh, uh, a full uh, cessation of hostilities, uh, a comprehensive ceasefire, is also uh, beyond the unhindered access of international uh, of, of, of humanitarian supplies, also of international humanitarian workers and international journalists. I mean, one of the big differences with the previous wars is that at that time, uh, international UN colleagues were able to stay in the north uh, international journalists were there to monitor the situation and to uh, to report in real time on on you know the humanitarian needs and the and the state of the of the assault you know in in all parts of the Gaza Strip and this is today not uh, not possible and, and crucially needed so. Uh, this is also a call for for more efforts to get humanitarian international humanitarian personnel to support their local colleagues i lived in gaza for a decade and and one important function of of having international staff there was was here yeah, to provide support and protection to our to our courageous palestinian colleagues um Ahmed, organizations like the like Oxfam has warned that starvation is being used as a weapon of war against civilians in Gaza in an act of collective punishment. Does the NRC share that assessment? Yes. And um, Israel, as the occupier under international law, is responsible for the security and the food security of the people it occupies as a, um, of course, Israel as authorities, they, they do control areas, uh, they do control borders, um, the, the crossing, the border uh, crossing uh, with with uh, with Gaza, which has been the main point of entry for food over over these uh, over these years. Um, there is another element of it, which is the destruction of agricultural lands, of greenhouses. We have seen this in in uh, in uh, rights reports. The destruction of all means of life, really. I mean, there's probably, we can't think of a violation that hasn't been committed here. But of course, the security of the people and, and the food and starvation has been used. Of course, destruction of uh, destroying water networks, for example, that's again against international humanitarian law. Um, you know, not facilitating the entry of food to people who are at increased risk of, of starvation. That's, again, that's one more violation. And of course, even businesses and um, 
shops and supermarkets that have been that have, that have been hit here and you know strawberry fields and and fields that you know used to feed families and businesses and small businesses there's there's hardly you know any violation you could think of that you know has not been uh, has not been committed here and you know, when we talk about just a point here about eight trucks that, that come into Gaza, we talk about 100, 200, 300. Not all of these trucks are actual food uh, or, or water or, you know, um, any kind of sustenance that people need. Some of them include shelter support, some of them medication. And so when 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 we have 100 trucks coming in a day, I mean, that that can that is hardly enough for, for a neighborhood, really, for a street, for a, for a shelter. And that's why we have been saying that these, all of this, with the forcible transfer of the people of residents in Gaza, all of this together constitutes a grave violation of international law. So just on the point, Ahmed, uh, on um, you saying that the Norwegian Refugee Council says that starvation is being used as a weapon of war, having made that assessment and that declaration, what can organizations like yours do about it? We can only speak out, to be honest, and we can only press and pressure um, allies of Israel in the in the, in the West, internationally, in the Security Council, to push for more aid, to push for more humanitarian aid, while at the same time pushing for a ceasefire. We have been saying this all along: you can't use water or food or electricity or connection, even internet, which, which is you know, we we, we also see examples of starving people of, of connectivity in Gaza, which is just just horrific for people not be able not to be able to check in and, and you know speak to their families and, and confirm that you know someone is alive or not. Right. And all of this together, I mean without without the pressure, without international community pressuring Israel, we're not gonna have a solution to, to this. Um, um, Ahmed from Gaza, um, I'd just like to talk about the issue of pregnant women for a moment, because, look, there are lots of vulnerable groups in Gaza, of course, right now. I mean, the entire population is vulnerable, but we're hearing stories of pregnant women who are at particular risk uh, because um, and baby formula cannot be found and milk, of course, is in severe short supply for toddlers who are relying on it. You speak to us from Al Nasser Hospital. How are these women coping and their children? Uh, I'm, I'm located in a tent right adjacent to the maternity ward here in Nasser Hospital. The wall I'm touching is the maternity ward. Wow. It houses dozens of, of women in labor and, and, and babies who have been delivered. And uh, five days ago, uh, an Israeli tank strike the third floor of this maternity ward, killing one female and injuring uh, dozens of uh, women in labor and newborn babies. It didn't kill more because that bomb didn't explode. And I'm trying also to help a lot in the charity work here. And the number one thing that is needed is things related to hygiene and things related to baby food formula. So you are right. There is a lack of baby food formula. There is a lack of diapers. There is a lack of um, women pads. And, um, and, and the only solution for it, since there is no manufacturing in Gaza, is to import it, to get it from the outside. So hopefully this UN resolution will allow more baby formula, more food, more women medical needs to come in as soon as possible to help to support the civilian population here on the ground. Lex, um, look, as we're discussing, I mean, the needs are so immense and so huge. If there is another humanitarian pause, a corridor, or, or you know, these sort of declared safe zones that 
turns out, are not safe in Gaza. The needs are, are so huge. Are these momentary pauses enough to be able to supply the people of Gaza with everything that they need? Absolutely not. I mean, in the face of, as I, as I mentioned already, the, the abundance of prima facie evidence of, of atrocity crimes, I mean, what is called for is a complete cessation of hostilities so that uh, indeed the UN can sort of properly, together with its humanitarian partners, such as the NRC and many others, exercise its, its, its responsibility and, 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 uh, and reach, uh, reach people at all parts of the, of the Strip. Uh, as long as this does not happen, and as an international lawyer, I believe it is beyond continuing diplomatic and political pressure, including from grassroots, I believe it is critical to use to to now make use of all available legal avenues uh, to hold those perpetrating or complicit in the commission of at atrocity crimes. When you crime talk about account. all legal avenues, what are you referring to here? Yeah, what I'm referring to, I mean, there is an ongoing investigation by the ICC. We're aware of that, and and further submissions to the ICC and pressure on the ICC prosecutor Karim Khan is uh, is critical. Uh, then there is also the opportunity offered by the Genocide Convention uh, for uh, for states to engage the International Court of Justice, including an urgent an urgent request for provisional measures. Uh, the why do you think why do you think that we still haven't the, seen a state the, invoke that Genocide Convention yet, Lex? Well, one of the main reasons is, I think, uh, honestly, uh, fear of taking on Israel and uh, and uh, and by extension the the the, the U.S. and and Europe. Uh, there are 153 states uh, party to the Genocide Convention. There are roughly the same states that supported the recent General Assembly resolution. Uh, but uh, but putting you know expressing expressing a strong denunciation is one taking legal action uh, there in a court of law and especially in the world court is uh, is an, an, a, you know a, a critical is is quite a threshold and yet in 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 face of the prima facie you know evidence that we are seeing it's critical that you know one or more of the of the 153 states parties step up to the, this pressure and and uh, and uh, and do the right thing as Myanmar as uh, as Gambia did uh, in in the case of of uh, of Myanmar with respect to the genocide against the, the Rohingya and and finally there is also a, multi, a multitude of avenues through national courts quite a, quite a few have already been pursued in the US in the Netherlands in in the UK in in Scandinavia but much more can be done. And there is a lot of collaboration between lawyers around the world and and, right. and, and supported by Palestinian human rights organization. And this is really, really critical at the at the present time. Only efforts at accountability can bring, you know, restraint by by the party and, and, and those complicit in, in, in the ongoing genocide. Okay, we'll have to leave it there on that note. Thank you so much for joining us, gentlemen. Uh, Mansour Shaman, thank you for joining us from Gaza. Uh, Ahmed Bayram from Amman and Lex Takenberg, thank you for joining us from Vienna. This episode was produced by Dermot Fleming, Um Kulsum Sharif, Laurent Peter, 
and Peter Taylor. Studio sound was by Ellie Elhani. The program was edited by Manish Bataille, David Enders, Negan Ulai, and Joe DeFrias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. Tune in on Monday for our next edition. Coming up on The Take, we're looking at some of the stories that define 2023, from drones in Ukraine to the rise of chat GPT. That's The Take from Al Jazeera. Find it wherever you get your podcasts.